we're going to look together now in Romans 14, which Ray read for us. prayed, uh, I will remind us that this section, entitled in the uh, New International Version, The Weak and the Strong, is about the relations between the two different segments of uh, the church there at Rome, and he's very concerned for the unity of the church. And we looked at it last week, and it I hope I made a a presentation that wasn't complicated. But on the other hand, the issues that are raised are not simple. They uh, require us to think quite hard. So I'm going to try and follow that on uh, today. And we're going to come in at verse 13 and go through to the end of the chapter. And if you would like to focus on a particular verse, it would be verse 19 where he says, let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So as God helps us, let's look together at this this part of the Bible. So it's part two of a long section on togetherness, because that's what it's about, isn't it? I was going to put unity but that sounds rather abstract. It's really togetherness. He spends a chapter, about a chapter and a half, on the togetherness of the church. And I think that in itself is significant. It's countercultural because we think that the church is something that we pop into and pop out of, and maybe we get something and maybe we don't. But he says it's not like that. It's not like a supermarket. It's like a family and the togetherness is so important. Uh, And that is a precious thing, Uh, not not only there in Rome in those 2,000 years ago, but in every church, in our church, in all churches. So I've been thinking about this, and I would like to offer to you this morning five sections. And the first section is the context. So the context is that we have two groups of people <coughs> excuse me and I think roughly we could say that they correspond to the Gentile Christians who were, became Christians from a pagan background and the Jewish Christians who become Jews knowing their Old Testament knowing uh, all about being Jewish, kosher food all that sort of thing it may be more complicated than that but that's not so ba- such a bad way to start thinking about it and the, the Gentile Christian, whom I'm putting on this side, uh, is able to eat, or believes he's able to eat, all sorts of food. In particular, as the reading says, he eats meat, and we'll say more about that in a moment. And he is tempted to look across at his Jewish brother or sister and say, look at me, I'm eating and doing all sorts of things like this. I'm free And to look down on the Jewish brother or sister 
who has some problems with this and say, you are inferior. You haven't really understood what it is to be a Christian. And the Jewish believer might be thinking something like this. Well, I'm being obedient because it says in the Bible. It's got that about food laws as part of the Bible, isn't it? And you, my friend, and it's taken me a little while to realize how strongly these things are felt. But I think he's saying, you are unacceptable. Your attitude, your behavior is unacceptable in the church of Jesus Christ. And more than that, I worry about you. I am so upset by the way you live and by the things that you seem to carry on doing. It, it gives me sleepless nights. It churns me up inside. I'm, I'm really, really... Uh, you know, at the edge, really. I'm on, on, on the edge about you lot in the church. And I think as we go through, we'll see that it is as strong as that or as intense as that. And these two groups of people, Paul characterizes as the strong, uh, the person who eats the meat, and the weak. And I'm sorry, I should have mentioned that the Jewish, another issue which is mentioned in passing is Jewish days and the calendar so I put a calendar there strong and the weak uh, weak well in chapter 14 verse 1 uh, Paul describes the Jewish type as being weak in faith I don't think this I don't think Paul means that they're not saved that they don't have saving faith but I think he means that they haven't worked through the implications of their faith. They're a little bit, they, they're still on a journey in that. They haven't got it all settled. And he says that they are weak in faith. And I think he might also say from verse 5 that their judgment is weak. Because verse 5, he does a thing with words. One man considers a day more sacred than another, another man considers every day alike. Well, the word in the original is to judge, and he's been talk he talks quite a bit about judgment, and he says, one person judges a day more sacred than another, and another person judges everyone alike. And so I, I think we could say that their faculty of judgment is not, uh, well, is weak. That's a suggestion rather than uh, an assertion. And this leads to huge problems, and in particular, chapter 15, verse 6, he says that what he really wants is a church that, that with one heart and mouth may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's saying that the, these tensions in relationship within the church produces a problem in the area of glorifying God, which is a big problem. Uh, if God is not glorified, that is a big problem. And he says, this is what I'm aiming for, and this is why I'm giving you this teaching, because as things stand, uh, God is not being glorified as he should. And if you have any knowledge of a Christian scene over any number of years, you will know that problems like this, not exactly this, but like this, uh, 
Satan uses these uh, in many occasions and uh, there are churches where relationships are strained where there's two or more factions pulling against one another and uh, God is not glorified and this is the sort of thing that Paul is addressing and last time I tried to isolate some principles and these principles seems to me is where Paul is going he doesn't he himself agrees with the strong person that's his conviction is that he could eat meat not a problem but he doesn't just say well you're right and you're wrong he's got deeper things that he's concerned about and I tried to bring out some principles for example the principle of acceptance that if God has accepted somebody and God has put his hand into the hand of this person so in principle uh, we should be accepting one another and then there's a principle of liberty because rather surprisingly Paul said each one should be fully convinced in his own mind Uh, so the uh, the sense that we he actually encourages people to have firm views and there's a certain liberty about that and then he referred to motivation and he seems confident to say that whatever these people are doing these different sectors of the church at Rome they're doing it for the Lord and that counts for something and then he also said it's not our job to write people off it's not our job to condemn people Uh, he says in verse 13 stop passing judgment on one another and he makes the point that we are not the judge we don't know the ins and outs of everything but God alone does so there are some principles there so that was my first point to give us the context now my second point is the more tricky question of relevance the issues in let's be quite clear about what the issues were there in Rome the food that he's referring to just look at chapter 14 verse 1 one man's faith allows him to eat everything but another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables now I wouldn't want you to think that this was to do with animal welfare now for us vegetarianism is quite possibly a matter of animal welfare but for them that was not the issue the issue was a religious one this food this meat which would have been bought in the pagan market would possibly in fact almost certainly have been involved in some uh, ritual a little bit like the halal thing you know where where a blessing is said by a Muslim cleric over the meat something like that would have happened to this meat so it's it's a religious issue not to do with animal welfare and the issue of days would have been to do with the Jewish Sabbath the Saturday uh, Jewish and Jewish festivals Uh, so strictly speaking it's nothing to do with uh, Sunday the Christian festival so specifically those were the things that they were 
debating about. And the question is, in what way is that relevant to us? Is that relevant to us with today's issues? And I've got three options here. Option one, that how many, uh, how many of our issues is this relevant to? And the answer is option one, none. And to say, option one, our issues are completely different. Because I could not think of a single church where the issue of pagan offering of food is an issue, certainly not in the UK. And I can't think of a single church where what you do on Saturday is an issue. So you might say, really and truly, this is not relevant to us at all. But I think it would be very odd to have a chapter and a half of Scripture that is not relevant because we're told about Scripture that it is useful and, uh, what does it say, good for, uh, profitable for instruction in righteousness. It's, it, it would be a very strange thing if, if of all the Bible we had one and a half chapters that has no relevance to us. And I think we have seen some transferable principles. So I, I don't agree with option one. Option two... Romans 14, you just take it and apply it to all issues. You apply it to everything. So you go from issues like how churches choose the songs they're going to sing, right through to the doctrine of the atonement and whether Christ suffered wrath or whether he just merely set an example. And everything in between, you apply Romans 14 to all of that and you say, everybody be persuaded in their own mind. We all have liberty in these things. Um, and who are you to judge somebody else on what they believe on something like that? So that's option two. It applies to all issues. But, and the but is this, that Paul himself does not treat all issues the same as he does in Romans 14. If you turn across, please, to 1 Corinthians 5, verse 1. Please notice the different tone of voice when he addresses the Corinthians. And this is um, on the matter of sexual ethics. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife and you are proud. Shouldn't you rather have been filled with grief and put out of your fellowship the man who did this? So it's a very different approach, isn't it? He's not saying let each be, you know, incest, not incest. Let each be persuaded in his own mind. You know, people have different views on this. He certainly doesn't tackle that in that way. He says, absolutely not. There is a, something which is not negotiable in this realm of sexual ethics. And what you should do is have a church meeting and you should expel the person who is not um, living according to the ethics of the Bible. Or if you go to 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, which is about the Lord's Supper, and without going into great detail, they're being selfish, they are, uh, they are showing off, not waiting for one another, not caring and not sharing. And he doesn't say, 
Well, you know, each, each one has his own approach. Let everybody be fully persuaded in, in your own mind. Who are you to judge somebody else? He says uh, things like this in 1 Corinthians 11:17. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. You see, he, he, he doesn't say, well, each be persuaded in their own mind. So, this is wrong. You can't do this. I've got no time for it. You need to put it right. So this is my option two. Uh, all issues are treated like Romans 14. No, I don't agree with that either. So option three. Some issues in some ways are treated like Romans 14. And I think that is nearer the mark. We take the principles and the commands and we apply them to each situation with wisdom and with the leading of the Holy Spirit. And this seems to me to be what God has been doing through the church for 2,000 years. As each new situation comes up, and sometimes some very tricky situations, the, uh, the churches and the teachers and leaders have prayed and have thought and have discussed and debated and prayed again and by exercising wisdom have formed a judgment. Uh, this is the way we deal with this particular problem. This is the way we deal with this one. This one is very significant and very important. This one we deal with in a much more um, uh, flexible way and so on. And I don't think there's any option but to do number three. It's not irrelevant, it's not relevant to absolutely everything but to some issues and some ways. And I made a list of the issues and I stopped making the list because I was depressing myself after a while. The, the, the issues that we could debate and that churches disagree over. So, believers baptism versus infant baptism. Music and different styles of worship different Bible versions, speaking in tongues, spiritual gifts, baptism in the Holy Spirit, the place of Israel in God's purposes, the second coming in the millennium, church government, whether you have bishops and archdeacons or whether you have independent churches, association with less gospel and non-gospel churches, women preachers, and at this point I stopped making the list because I was just making myself uh, downcast. So I thought, well, how do we practically apply the, the, the principles of the Bible when there are differences like this? And for what it's worth, I would myself work on a grid something like this because I think it depends on the purpose for which you are trying to have an agreement or a relationship. And I think it works something like this. So I put a, a, a list of different possible situations. So working from the bottom uh, to the question of whether one accepts such and such another person as a fellow Christian. And then working up a stage, whether you accept such and such a church as a genuine church. 
and then working up a stage, whether you, uh, whether you say they're a genuine church and we could work with them, and then going up a stage again, this is a church of which I could thoroughly join in and become a church member. And then going up another stage, this is a church in which I could hold office as a teacher. And then I think the most sensitive issue would be the role of a leader or a teaching elder. And as you go up that list, you need more and more agreement. And you're less and less in the territory of saying, let each be fully persuaded in his own mind. You're getting more and more into the issue. We really need to be agreed over spiritual gifts or over um, the place of Israel in redemption and, and so on. And as you come down the list, we get more and more to the area in which Romans 14 is sufficient and that's the main way you approach it. So, for example, accepting as a fellow Christian. So there's a lady at the end of our road who's a Roman Catholic, but I think she... Uh, believes in the Lord Jesus and I think she knows and loves the Lord Jesus and I went round and prayed with her when her husband died but I, that doesn't mean I would accept the Roman Catholic Church as a genuine church because there are things you, you, you wish to have in a church, you wish to have the gospel preached clearly and I am not persuaded that the official teaching of Roman Catholicism gets the gospel right so I would, I would just go this far, but not that far in that particular situation. And uh, let's go up a little bit. So in, in Brighton and Hove, there are a good number of churches that we would say are yeah, genuine churches. They preach the gospel. And um, if a church member from our church left to join that church, we wouldn't discipline them and say, you're apostatizing. We'd say, God bless you you're going to join another church. Um, but we might say, do we have enough agreement to work together on such and such a thing? And that would perhaps certainly be something we would need to look at carefully. So I'm trying to uh, approach number two, the question of relevance and saying, does Romans 14 give us the total answer to every question where people, Christians differ? And I'm saying, it gives us helpful principles, but different situations will um, need other principles to be brought in as well. So you have a pause for thought while I find my, I've got my sheets in a muddle. Anybody want to ask a question about that? You could ask a question later if you wanted to. So that was number two the question of relevance. So coming to the passage now, what is the danger that we're trying to avoid? So please look with me through this, uh, through the passage. What is the danger we're trying to avoid? And as I went through this, I was more and more surprised by the extremity of the danger. Verse 13, make up your mind or judge this not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. So here's a church in which people are actually putting stumbling blocks 
and obstacles in each other's way. So they're making it more difficult for one another to live the Christian life. Verse 15. If your brother is distressed by what you eat, and I suspect that that translation is rather weak for what's involved, your brother is given a headache and a heartache over how you behave. Your brother or sister stays up at night worrying about you. If you are behaving in that way, well, this is the danger to avoid. And look at what it says in verse 15. Uh, Do not by your eating destroy your brother. Do not by your behavior destroy your brother for whom Christ died. That's very, very strong, isn't it? Uh, and he talks about being spoken of as evil, which is strong as well. And then I went to verse 20. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. Uh, and then he comes back in verse 20 to the idea of stumbling, something that causes other people to stumble. And then verse 21, to cause your brother to fall. So what is the danger to avoid? The danger is of, peop- of, of behavior by which other people say, if that's how Christians behave, I don't want anything to do with Christianity and I don't want anything to do with them. And you may say, well, that would never happen. But I want to say, I think Brighton and Hove must contain scores, if not hundreds of people, who no longer go to church because of things that happened in the church that they went to, and they said, if that's how Christians behave, I don't want anything more to do with it. So this is the danger to avoid. Uh, And I wonder what was going on in Rome. Were people walking out of the service? Were people saying, I'm not coming any longer. Uh, where people saying, if we're having, a, if we're having a, uh, a bring and share lunch, I'm not staying. I mean, what was going on? It, the more you think about it, the more serious it is, and the more you realize Paul really does have something that he's, he feels very strongly about. So I think he's not talking about Christians having different preferences. He's not saying, you know, that's the danger. I don't think he's saying, you know, you can, you can like such and such a song and such, somebody else likes such and such a song and somebody else likes... He's not talking about that. And I don't think he's talking about cultural variety in the church. Uh, my friend, uh, Pastor Stuart McNary from Holland Road, who was very, very good to me when I started off uh, working for the church here, he said... Um, you know, Phil, when I was first converted, I went to the church where um, uh, Ian Paisley uh, was the minister, and all the people there used to have a long black coat. So I got myself a long black coat too. <laughs> uh, and uh, you, know, you don't want to offend, you know, these people, this is their view, you should wear, if you're a Christian, wear a long black coat, well, I'll wear a long black coat too. He's saying, don't worry about that sort of thing. That's not what I'm talking about. He's talking about 
damaging the damage that can be inflicted on other Christians, the serious damage. And he says, that's why he says in verse 19, let us make every effort for the opposite, to do what leads to peace and not to destroying, but building up, to building one another up. And you see how wide-ranging this is. He says, the Christian life isn't just about you and your liberty. The Christian life is about how you help or hinder other people. The Christian life is about what you do to encourage the peace of the church and what you do to contribute to the upbuilding of the church, what you do to bring the church together as opposed to fragmenting it and scattering it into pieces. You see how strongly he feels about this. That was point number three, the danger to avoid. Somewhere in here. So my point number four is how it all goes wrong because he explains how it goes wrong. So here's the situation. Here's uh, the believer who is happily and cheerfully munching on the beef burger which he's got from the pagan market. Uh, and uh, he's, he's happy about that. And here are the Jewish believers who are scandalized. What are they? He's just eating that. They're absolutely scandalized. And there's another believer there with a beef burger too, which we'll come to in a moment. So let's just take us through this blow by blow. I think I'm probably stating the obvious, but this is what happens. So verse 13, make up your mind not to put a stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I'm fully convinced that no food is unclean. So I'm totally with you um, eating meat, totally with you on that. But if anyone reckons something is unclean, then for him it is unclean. So he thinks it's clean, but these guys say, no, 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 it isn't, that's unclean. And for them, uh, uh, insofar as their conscience and their relationship with the Lord, those things count. Uh, And for them it's unclean. And if your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. So this person says it's clean and I'm going to munch away at it. And these people say it's unclean and they're distressed. And there's a second uh, possibility that one of these believers who is unhappy about this says, well, I've seen them do it. I'll try it myself. So they go away and get a beef burger. But for them, this is a very dangerous and um, destructive exercise. And that's what Paul is referring to when he says things like, um, things like, verse 23, the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats 
because his eating does not come from faith and everything that doesn't come from faith is sin. So what you're actually doing is you're encouraging this brother to do something that he's not convinced of uh, that will, in him, he's guilty at doing this and for him it is sin because he's, he can't draw a straight line between the Lord Jesus and looking into the face of the Lord Jesus and the sort of behavior that he's doing. And you did that to him. You made him do that because of your showing off your liberty, your insensitivity for the effect it would have on other people. And you have caused him to stumble and you have caused him damage. Now the person who ate the meat he was perfectly correct in his verdict on food because the, f- the food wasn't unclean really and truly but the person who ate the food failed radically in practical love if your brother verse 15 is, is distressed if you, do, if you put him through this because of what you eat you are no longer acting in love you are not walking in love and that's what Christians are meant to do to walk in love so not just thinking just of how it works for themselves but how it affects the people around how it builds them up how it helps them and, uh, and this, is how, this is what Paul is, is keen to avoid so let me that was uh, point number four and let me close with point number five assuming I can find it Point number five, I'd like to draw from this passage the positive, beautiful principles. Because in in a way, it it describes a situation that is, uh, the more you think about it, the more unpleasant it is. But Paul doesn't want us to, to think about it in a negative way. He says there's some very beautiful principles that should fill us and motivate us and correct us and be the remedy for anything like that. So verse 15, um, let us walk in love towards our brothers and sisters. Let us walk in love. Let's practically, let's think about how we can help one another, how we can build one another up, how we can encourage one another in spiritual things. Um, Texting seems to be... uh, a, a, a good technology way of saying thank you to somebody or well done to somebody or I appreciated something. I think that's a good way to encourage one another in love. Verse 17. Get a grasp of what is important and what is less important. The Bible doesn't give us this as a list of do's and don'ts. It gives, it, it gives us a way of forming a scale of values. And which is more important, that you have your beef burger or that other people rejoice in the Lord? And he says, verse 17, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness, 
been talking all about righteousness all the way through and peace we have peace with God and joy in the Holy Spirit he says that's those are the things that will last those are the things of weightiness and if you were to compare them well here's the opportunity of having a beef burger and here's the opportunity of of uh, glorifying the righteousness of Christ and making peace in the church and giving people joy in the Holy Spirit. Which of those two do you think, well, no, I'll have the beef burger. He says, you know, get a grasp of what really matters. And it isn't the steak and chips that really matters. And then a rather beautiful description in verse 18 See the genuine value of living like this. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, okay, anybody who's who's learnt this mindset, who's learnt this way of dealing with people and dealing with issues and, and constraining their lives, anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. I think that's very high praise, don't you? You could say uh, of, of such and such an attitude or such and such a way of life, it's serving Christ and it's pleasing to God and it, it's practically useful and positive and appreciated by people. And that's what he says. See, the genuine value. You know, what a wonderful thing to have a church full of people that think this way that react this way. This is pleasing to God and it's useful and practical and it works and it's praiseworthy and it's approved by men. And then uh, I've only got one other comment and I didn't quite manage to put it on that sheet. (coughs) Verse 19. Think seriously about how to produce peace in the community and build one another up, which is the sentence I began with in verse 19. Therefore, let us make every effort. Let us pursue, let us be full on in going for whatever leads to peace and mutual edification makes the peace of the church so we're peacemakers rather than peace breakers it's not that difficult to break the peace of the church it's not that difficult to um, have a tantrum or be selfish or say something out of place or give vent to your feelings in, a, in, the wrong, uh, in the wrong way it's not that difficult to break the peace of the church but he says make every effort to do the things that make the peace of the church and that build up one another and that, that whole mindset there is not myself it's not building me up it's building up one another it's not saying you know look at me how good I am everybody gather around me it's saying how can I help this person how can I help that person how can I build up the community 